0: Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Our text for today is taken from our Gospel reading from the first chapter of St. John with an emphasis on these words. So they said to John, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. This is our text, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen. Anyone alive during the last decade is likely at least peripherally aware of the global phenomena that are the interconnected series of superhero movies that make up the Marvel Cinematic Universe. If you haven't been following these films yourself, then you've certainly at least seen previews or commercials or posters featuring characters like the Hulk or Iron Man or Captain America. In 2021, the MCU expanded its lineup into a series of stream-exclusive mini-series revolving around side and background characters and trying to tell the stories from their point of view. One of the more intriguing offerings in this lineup centered around a formerly villainous character named Loki. Now, for those of you not in the know, yes, that's supposed to be the very same Loki as the old Norse god of mischief. But Loki, as he is portrayed in the movies, is often selfish and egotistical, viewing others as less than himself because, in his own words, he is burdened with glorious purpose. And so, what is that purpose, you might ask? Well, to him... That purpose is the obligation and the responsibility to rule and to reign and to lord his power over those who are weaker than himself. Without giving too much away for anyone who might want to watch, his miniseries serves as a bridge between major acts in the Marvel movies, and it also reveals over time that his glorious purpose isn't quite what he thought it was near the end of his series, one of his companions would opine, well, it turns out that most purpose is more burden than glory. Such was the case for another famous figure that you're all probably very familiar with by now in this season of Advent, though instead of a fictional trickster, this man was a very real prophet. The ministry of John the Baptist in the Bible serves as a bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. His proclamation of repentance and the imminent arrival of the Lord signals the end of the prophetic age and the beginning of the messianic age for Israel. John would be the herald of good news. John would be the envy of all those prophets who came before him. John would be privileged to sound the trumpet For the very coming of the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. By his own testimony, John admitted to those who inquired of him, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, just as the prophet Isaiah said. Boy, talk about a glorious purpose. And yet, when we're introduced to John in last week's gospel reading, he hardly seemed glorious, did he? Saint Mark painted a picture for us of John as this strange sort of bohemian figure who dwelled in the wilderness outside of Jerusalem, garbed in camel's hair and surviving on locusts and wild honey. Yet, still more bizarre than his appearance was the way in which he spoke of the aforementioned advent of the Messiah. His words concerning the one who was to come shattered the presuppositions of many people who gathered to hear him. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, we hear the prophet cry in the third chapter of Matthew's gospel, and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. With these and other similar exhortations, John the Baptist challenged and changed Israel's idea of her own purpose before her Lord. Hardly paving the way for glory, John urged the people instead to humble themselves before their coming king, performing for them a baptism of repentance, a ritual washing which would render them ceremonially clean at their Lord's arrival. But this too was an unusual practice. As Jewish ceremonial baptisms were generally only performed on humans in the case of proselytes, that is, converts to Judaism, from other religions and this is how John urged Israel to reimagine itself not just in humility but as outsiders as the very bottom rung of the ladder as the lowliest and the most unworthy to receive their own Lord naturally the people had some questions who but God himself had the authority to speak to his people this way. And for that matter, who but the Lord could ever require his people to submit to something so menial as this baptism of repentance? What were the credentials of this rebel priest that he should treat with the holy nation in such a tone? Who in the world was this John bar Zechariah anyway to tell them to clean up their act Who are you? they asked. What do you have to say about yourself? Why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? For already there were whisperings among those who had followed John into the wilderness that he could be anything from Elijah returned from heaven to perhaps a still greater prophet, or, some even thought, perhaps... This could even be the Messiah himself. But John's purpose was not to glorify himself, but it was to glorify the one who would come after him. And so John gave them answer, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now you and I read this sentence as a mere statement of humility, but John is in fact making an example of himself to illustrate Israel's unworthiness before their God. Much like the washing of feet, untying and removing a person's sandals was generally a task reserved only for the very lowest of the low by first century reckoning. This was a task that was considered far beneath ordinary household servants. In fact, there was even an old axiom in the Jewish faith that said the young students of a rabbi could often be expected to tend to every whim of their teacher, cooking, cleaning, picking up the tab, anything at all, except, of course, untying their sandals. This was often thought of as slave work. And this, said John the Baptist, the last and the greatest prophet, was a job far too good for him to even consider doing for the one who would come after him. The glorious purpose of John, the glorious purpose of the entirety of the prophetic office, was the burden of being brought low so that the glory of God might be revealed to his people. But friends, Here is the mysterious and the wonderful news behind the humiliation of God's prophets. As they were rejected by the people, so too would their Lord be rejected. As they were persecuted, downtrodden, and outcast, so too would their Lord be persecuted, downtrodden, and outcast. As they were brought low, so would their Lord bring himself low for them. As they were sacrificed for the sake of God's people, so too would God sacrifice himself for them and for all people. The one who came after John, the great and the mighty King of kings, he would not come in splendor and in majesty as Israel supposed. The glorious purpose of their messiah was not conquest and dominion but service and sacrifice as humble as john was jesus christ would be humbler his teaching would be more enlightening his suffering more profound his sacrifice atoning and his baptism renewing the purpose of jesus christ would be both the greater burden and the greater glory. For in him all the law and the prophets are at last fulfilled, and so find their glory in him. But this is not glory, as mankind understands it. This is what still confounds us today about both John and Jesus. As the season of Advent unfolds, we are continually bombarded with images that promote a glory far removed from God's plan and purpose. Self-serving consumerism and excess instill in us an outright false sense of God's purpose for Advent. The calls of the prophet to repent and to reflect have as their chief concern not a sense of guilt and shame, but rather a drawing near of the heart to the things of God above the things of man. And it is precisely this drawing near that is the real purpose of this season. The Church does not put John the Baptist at the forefront during Advent to bring everyone down or make them sad or miserable or afraid. The words of the prophets are as relevant for us as they were for Israel because we too are beset by a world and a culture which renders us ill-prepared for Jesus at his coming. Examining the humility of Christ and of his servant John may very well bristle against our worldly sensibilities. They might even appear at odds with the rest of the beautiful and pleasant imagery that we are exposed to during Advent. Their message, after all, seems more burden than glory. And yet, behind this humility, our God has chosen to reveal His most glorious purpose. Drawing near to Jesus, your sins are washed away, your debt is paid for, and the curse of death is undone. In humble sacrifice, the Christ has come to glorify you, His saints, And so bring you into a right relationship with your heavenly father and life forever in his kingdom do not be deceived as those were who took john merely at his face value by humble repentance devotion and prayer set your hearts and minds on those things of god which are revealed by the word of his prophets and by the gifts of his son Let these things, his means of grace, be profitable in you for newness of life, that you may see clearly his purpose, and so give him the glory. In Jesus' name, Amen.